Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want to plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today, Larry has a special guest on the phone. Joining us is Robert Puerto. Robert is a results-oriented financial professional with over 20 years experience in managing multiple audit and review engagements in various industries. Robert has a proven track record in motivating and leading people, problem-solving, issue resolution, and productivity improvement and efficiency. He graduated from New York University and is currently a CPA and partner at Boris Bennis and Associates, LLP. Good morning, Larry. How are you? I'm doing terrific, Eric. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm looking forward to learning more about Robert. Yeah, so t- today's podcast is how to have a pain-free audit of your 401k plan. It was part of the Retire Right podcast. A lot of times we talk about in the employee side, but today we're going to talk about it from the employer side. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Robert, thanks for joining us today. Robert, why don't you tell us a little bit about how your firm works with retirement plans and what they do? Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Our, our firm has been around 29 years, and we focus on middle market privately held businesses. But a, a, a big segment of our practice is the audited, auditing of the 401k plans. Uh, collectively, I think if you look at the plans that we audit, we have about a, a billion and a half dollars in net assets invested, and there's probably about 25,000 participants overall. We have dedicated teams specializing, trained specifically in this type of an audit that focus on this. And they, and a good thing is that they recur from year to year. So the client, from our perspective, we don't like them to see new faces all the time. So it's, it's consistent people. We're familiar with all the major record keeping platforms, all the major service providers. So not all plans need an audit. So when is an audit required for a employee benefit plan? So, so there's various rules, right? But generally when there's a hundred people or more that are eligible to participate, so eligible, not necessarily participating in the plan, an audit is, is required. And that measure of when you look at eligibility of people is at the very beginning of the plan year. So for the purposes of our conversation, let's assume that the plan year is always going to be the calendar year throughout our conversation here. So if, for example, on January 1st, 2020, you had 100 people that were eligible, and those eligibles include people that are uh, active or people that are retired or separated, and even deceased that have uh, beneficiaries that are participating in it, all those numbers need to be counted as eligible people. So there's a couple exceptions to the rule. One of them is if you are between 80 and 120 eligible participants at the very beginning of the year, you could treat yourself as what's called a small plan. Small plan meaning doesn't require an audit as you did in the, in the prior year. When a, when, when a company gets to having 121 eligible participants, then, then they, the audit requirement continues on and doesn't come off until they go under 100 participants. 
The other exception to the audit rule is for health and welfare plans. Those are filings that are done with respect to employee benefits, medical, dental, vision. Those plans, uh, if they're funded, they're either completely by insurance contracts or by the, the assets of the employer, a combination of the two. Those don't require an audit. You, you mentioned that the plans are subject to the, the plans that are subjected to ERISA are the ones that have an annual filing requirement. So what plans are subjected to ERISA? Good question, Larry. It's probably easier to answer that by telling you what plans uh, ERISA does not apply to. Everything else would apply. So the traditional, obviously, 403B plans, defined benefit plans, 401K plans, uh, profit sharing plans, those are all subject to, to ERISA, but government plans, you know, including state and local governments, church plans, those are not covered. Uh, plans that are, that are set up just to cover workers' compensation or unemployment compensation or disability, those aren't covered. And plans that, that are maintained outside the United States, primarily for, for non-resident aliens, those also are not covered by ERISA. Okay. And, and how does the audit connect or intersect with the annual filing requirements per ERISA? So the, the, the annual filing requirement per ERISA, in essence, is the filing of, of Form 5500. That is a, a form that is that was developed by the Department of Labor, the Internal Revenue Service, and the PBGC together. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's trying to fit, there's many types of plans. So it, it, it's a form that can accommodate all types of plans and it does that in a series of schedules. So for example, if uh, you have insurance contracts in your plan, there's a schedule A that pops in. If you are a uh, defined benefit plan, there's a schedule B or SB for actuarial information. Uh, schedule C talks about expenses that are being paid by the plan, but the most important schedule, at least from an auditor's perspective, is Schedule H, which has the financial information. And that's what intersects the most with an audit, because that financial information has to uh, mirror what's happening in the audited financial statements. And if there is a difference between the two, the auditor is obligated to include a footnote reconciling uh, what's happening on the 5500 in Schedule H, and what's happening in the financial statements. Hmm. And well, you know, all plans that we see have either a, th a third-party administrator, a TPA, a record keeper, a custodian, or all three of them. And how do these third parties assist with the audit? So here, here's what you know. What I think employers are going to love because the bulk of the audit happens with, you know, with, with these outside, let's just call them outside service providers, because they, they hold the records from an investment perspective, they hold the records from a participant perspective. So as an auditor, we, you know, we work with them in terms of obtaining plan documents. We review and test transactions that occurred during the year directly with them. So it's, transactions such as rollover contributions or loans, distributions, expenses. These service providers do uh, 
the required annual non-discrimination testing. They usually prepare the 5500 and the associated schedules and supporting uh, analyses. Uh, we also review the service providers should, if they're reputable, have a service organization control audit report on their processes. So that's basically an audit report that's done on their systems and processing, their computer systems, so that employers that utilize their services can rely on the information um, and, and know that they have good controls in place. So, so here's a kind of question that I uh, actually thought about um, sometimes. So when you mention these third party administrators and record keepers and custodians, those are for the audience out there that most of those are unbundled plans, but there's also bundled plans out there, bundled 401k plans. Do you see a big difference when you audit a unbundled plan versus a bundle plan where everything is all in-house for let's say like an insurance company? I guess the only difference is, 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 dealing with one uh, outside organization versus multiple, right? If you, in, in the case of a bundled example, like you said, an insurance company, they would be providing everything, right? They, they, they do the discrimination testing. They provide uh, and prepare the 5,500. They do the record keeping for the participants. They issue the participant statements on a quarterly basis to the participants. They keep track of the investments and the transactions. Uh, they issue the loans and distributions versus, you know, if you had a un unbundled, you know, there's a third party administrator that you're dealing with and that person is, is keeping the records by participants. They're the ones approving distributions or loans, preparing the 5,500. And the, the, the outside insurance company then is just relegated to just tracking the investment activity and reporting on that. Um, we work either way. We're agnostic to it. The only difference, like I said at the beginning, is dealing with one versus two people. So you don't really see any kind of difference. I guess it depends upon each plan specifically. That's true. Yeah. Okay. It's plan specific. So, yeah. So let's talk about some of the audit requests that the employer needs to, you know, to, to be requested when you're going through an audit. The items that we typically need from the employer that we wouldn't get from a service provider would be a, a walkthrough and an understanding of their governance of their plan. Uh, we, we get it. We, we specifically like to make sure that they understand their fiduciary responsibility. So we'll ask them to, you know, to, do you have a financial advisor? Do you have an investment committee? Do you have an investment policy statement? Um, how often do you do investment reviews? Can we see minutes of those investment reviews? And we'll also get a walkthrough and understanding of the controls around the hiring and firing of employees, changing of salaries, because those are such important inputs into their 401k plan. We'll also uh, look at their payroll register and, and uh, review a reconciliation of the year-to-date payroll figures from the register to their books and records. Okay. So from an auditor's perspective, what makes one audit more difficult than another? So usually issues that arise and make an audit more challenging center around controls. And it's, and it's easier to illustrate with maybe with a few examples. 
So one example is employees nowadays are able to change how much they defer, right? So today I may want to put 5% of my salary away into my 401k plan. Um, I could maybe with a service provider call an 800 number or go online or use a phone app and I could make it 7% next week or 8% the week after. Now that's with a service provider, but my salary is paid by my employer. So how do the two of them communicate with each other so that the service, you know, service providers feeding back to the employer changes that the employee has made for salary deferrals. And sometimes if that's system is system and there's controls in place, that's the best. But sometimes it doesn't work that way for, for a variety of reasons. And it, maybe it's an email, maybe it's a phone call, maybe the employer has to log into a portal to see what changes happened. We've seen at times that those changes aren't made at all, or sometimes not made timely. They're done like maybe a, a payroll period after the fact. And that causes issues there because that's not what the intention was of the, or when the employer wanted it to be implemented. There's also whether uh, specifics uh, in plan documents, for instance, certain income items, there's flexibility. An employer could say that uh, overtime or bonuses are not to be included in, in, in compensation for the purposes of employees making deferrals or for uh, associated matches that the, the company might do on that deferral. And if that exclusions of, of income items are not programmed into the company's payroll system. Sometimes for the most part, payroll systems are using outside third parties, not coordinated with them to exclude certain items because ultimately the payroll system is what determine what's, what to withheld and sometimes even determines what the company's associated match is calculated in that system. So we've seen that they're, they're not mirroring each other. What the plan document says and what's happening on the payroll register when we actually do some individual testing of participants, they don't line up. S similarly, you know, like uh, there's also loans and employees who go to a service provider and want to take a loan against their account. That information needs to go back and be reported to the employer so that in their payroll system, they could have loan repayments that are offset, you know, as part of, uh, the, you know, the, the salary payments. And if that's not happening on a timely basis, if that failure happens, there's an issue there. And as you know, every year there's, there's contribution limits that are set by the IRS at the participant level, how, you know, how much they could defer if, uh, if they're under 50, over 50, how much could be put into the plan between the employer contributions and the employee contributions. And if, and if those uh, limits are not set, let's say in their payroll system, they could, if they're using last year's limits as an example, then they're, they're and if and someone wants to put the maximum amount, they're not following the employee's wishes and that, that could, those, those cause issues as well. You know, those are all interesting points you, you make because we see it happen a, a lot. I'm surprised that firms don't turn off the percentage withholding from 
their accounts on some of those systems. Uh, the record keep, one of the record keepers we use, they, they, they do that and they're required to give it to the employee or the HR department. But of course, a lot of times the HR department doesn't get to the payroll department on, on time. So, so there are little bumps along the roads. One of the things that we see too that you didn't mention is uh, new employees, they're not on the system on a timely basis. That's so th that they're, they're eligible and no one forgot to send them out, a, send them out an email, which, which we're looking to check. And of course, if you have a good TPA, they're going to pick these up during their annual reviews as, as, as well. Do you do your audits usually after the, the, the TPA has done their um, annual review? It's, yes. it's, it's usually after, but, but that's a good point about what you just mentioned with the participants. You even see that with plans that have auto enrollment, that after a certain period of service or maybe right away, the employee is eligible to participate um, and they don't get notified or don't get put in timely. That's mm -hmm. a big issue too. And another one that I don't want to forget about not talking is the remitting to the plan, remitting to the trust, the withholdings of the employee on a timely basis. Hmm. That, that, that is an issue. Every IRS audit or Department of Labor audit that I've ever seen happen, that is a point that they always follow and they always do. So, so let, let's, let's, can we, let's, can, yes, I agree with you. And that's a big thing. So let's expand on that for a second. So what is the requirements? When does a company need to fund the, the, the 401k? So, so the, the answer is it follows, it, it, it's in step with the, the employer's requirement of how, when they withhold federal income taxes uh, from an employee's paycheck, each employer could be different you know, based on the magnitude of dollars that they contribute to the federal government of do they, do they have to submit that within one day of, of payroll processing, three days, five days, one week, one quarter. Uh, but it follows those rules. On the outside, uh, what the Department of Labor rules are is, is, is as soon as you're administratively feasible, able to segregate what you withheld from the employee, that's when you should remit it meaning as soon as you know what that number is. Mm -hmm. The kind of vague language. The, the only instance that the Department of Labor has given specifics is they created a safe harbor for a small plan. Now, a small plan is a plan that doesn't need an audit, as less than 100 people are eligible generally. And there they said a seven-day business day window is considered safe harbor in remitting. In, in different conversations with different Department of Labor auditors across my years, I've asked them, I said, well, what do you consider, you know, a general rule? Trying to get them a, trying to get a feel out of them outside of the payroll rules. And, and, and I've offered up, I said, do you think a five, five business days is, is adequate? And he goes, well, five business days would be adequate as long as they're consistent with it. So as an example, let's say that for most of the year, you're doing five days, but for the last quarter of the year, you were able to do it in three days. Then if, if, if you're able to do it in three days for once or multiple times, then the Department of Labor, IRS, is going to expect you to be able to do it three days the whole year. 
and and very easily during an audit, they could not our audit, but an audit by by their side, they could they could consider that late two days for the instances where they were paid five days. Hmm. It's a very tricky uh, situation. That that is tricky, and I, I haven't heard that before. That you could be penalized if you normally do it five days, and once or twice you do it you do it earlier. So uh, so it's that's great information to our audience out there. So, so far it's, it's been a great overview and, but we've talked about basically how you can, you know, survive and on a pain-free audit. So what are, what are some of the steps that you can recommend that employees take to have a smooth audit? The, 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 I would say the, the first thing is about planning. You know, I'm, a, I'm big on planning and uh, an audit could easily take like from the start to finish. It could take 60 days to complete in coordination with the service provider, with the company, preparing the financial statements that will ultimately accompany the 5,500. So planning is required on the company side as well as the, as, as the auditor's side. And if you think of the company's perspective, you know, the things that the auditor might ask they're, they're going to want to verify with the employer for certain people, right, uh, on a sample basis, the inputs that make a person eligible to participate in a plan, which are like, you know, service. You know, for, in the example that you may have a plan that says you are eligible to participate after you're 21 years of age and three months of service. So auditors are going to want to check that. Now, that might be with human resources. One of the requests we as auditors would want to see is, okay, let's take your payroll register. Let's reconcile it back to your books and records. Well, that's also, that's what your payroll department. And if you have a, an investment committee or an administrative committee that oversees your plan and the, there's minutes involved with that, well, that might be with some of the committee members. So there are various individuals in the organization. There's no one, typically, there's typically not just one central person. And if there's one person that's in charge of making it all happen, they have to coordinate with several departments. And sometimes with external people as well, um, meaning the service providers, or if, for instance, the plan uses a, an ERISA attorney, and maybe there's litigation, the auditor is going to want to send a confirmation to that ERISA attorney to find out any specific issues that might be occurring with that particular plan. So, just imagine if you're the person on the employer side, you have to coordinate with outside and internal people. And usually, when is one of these audits happening, right? If we just talk, take a step back and talk about the timetable for a calendar year plan, the 5500 is is due July 31st. And with the filing of the 5500, the audit financial statements need to be accompanied. An extension could be applied for to get you to October 15th. So if in the, for instance, in the summertime, time like now, audits are happening. Some of these people that you need to coordinate with internally or externally, they could be on vacation, right? Those, those items need to be factored in as well, right? So, so planning is, I, I would say, uh, the most important uh, aspect. Also, the auditors write down and list out the things that they expect the company to provide. So the person who's responsible on the employer side, they need to make sure they clearly understand. Typically, that this audit is recurring from one year to the next. They've seen these requests before. 
a new request pops up, I would say you sit down with, you know, make, make time to sit down with the auditor. Well, this request is new. Let me, let me make sure I understand it. So you, so they could understand in essence, the resources internally where they could get that information. Those are all key uh, advice points that could help make this audit as smooth as possible. And what about for those going through an audit for a first time, any other additional considerations? Well, you see, there, there, it, it, the process is going to be a, a learning experience for them. And the biggest recommendation, you know, when, when is for them to sit down with their auditor because the auditor is not going through the audit for the first time. They've done it. You know, it, it, in my case, I've, I, I've been doing this, you know, these type of audits more than 25 years. So I could walk them through the process educate them. These are the things that we need and here's why we need them. And as they start get, getting grappling and understanding, getting their hands around it, they'll also start understanding, well, okay, well, now I know who I can get this from. And, and figuring out who that internal team is that supports them to make this audit go smoother. So the, the, the biggest issue is, you know, uh, it's not an issue, but the, the, the most important step on a first-time audit is, is to spend the time and get educated. What's expected? Get that from your from your auditor. You could get it from your service providers. You know, how do you support me? We're going through an audit for the first time. What information are you going to provide for us, for my auditors? Uh, most service providers have a a portal that they make available, obviously to participants, to the employer, but also to auditors. So we could make you know, so we could find information that we need as opposed to requesting it from the company, just getting it getting it directly. Some of those things they may not realize. Oh, yeah, auditors typically would have access to that. They can just download the 5500 themselves. They can download a participant statement. They can make a request with the service provider for details as to distributions or, or loans. Okay, so 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 this is all great stuff. So we now know that you know the auditor plays a, a role in ensuring that the audit goes smoothly and, and well. What about an employer is interviewing a new auditor for their employee benefit plans? What are some of the things they should consider? So, so th there's, there's been, uh, it was a study several years ago from the Department of Labor, and they were looking at the quality of work that auditors did on, on audits of 401k plan based on the number of plans they do. And what they found is auditors that did five or less, the, the percentage of audit failures was much higher. And, and that's kind of makes kind of a lot of sense, right? The more you do something, the better, the better you are at it. Uh, but you'd be surprised, you know, I see it all the time, that there's many firms out there that kind of dabble in this meaning they did one or two or three audits. And, and there's no way that you could, this requires specialization. You can't be a specialist when you do one or two or three of these audits a year. You gotta be doing 25 or better a year to truly specialize this. So in that interview process, when you're getting to understand uh, and getting to meet a, pers a prospective auditor, well, tell me about your, your expertise. How many plans do you do? What type of plans do you do? For instance, if you have a 401k plan and the firm you're talking to, all they do is define benefit plans. Well, okay, then, then you're kind of the odd man out. They, they don't have too much experience with, with, with your type of plan. 
are they members of the AI? So the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants is the CPA's organization here in the United States. And they set up a, uh, a body within it called the uh, Employee Benefit Audit Quality Center. Firms in the U.S. that, that do audits of employee benefit plans, they want to excel and show that they have quality audits. Join that group. There's requirements for uh, internal testing. There's requirements on specific training they need to do. So that's another question. Are you a member of the AICPA's Employee Benefit Audit Quality Center? All auditors in the U.S., whether they're auditing a 401k plan or auditing a business, every three years, they have to have a what's called a peer review audit of their work. So another auditor will come in every three years. For instance, to my firm, they come every three years. They look at uh, the work, the, the body of work that we've done from an audit perspective, and they review and test that to see that our quality is up to snuff. And then they public, publicly issue the results of that report. So they should get their hands on this prospect. Well, what is that? Is that, a, is that a clean report? Were there issues on it? Because this is something they want to see beforehand when they're interviewing. They could say, well, I noticed the following issues. Can you please elaborate? And the most important thing is to get references. Ask for at least three clients. Hopefully, maybe one of those clients is using the same service providers they are. And follow up with that, uh, with those references. Were they timely? What was the staff prepared? Um, it, was it consistent staff? Or did every year the staff change on me? Did, was the staff experience, or were, there, were these people that just came right out of school with limited training? Those are the type of questions also asked to ask of the references. Great. So any other thoughts you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up today, Robert? This has been great. You know, I, I, I think as your, as your audience members listen to this, you know, questions might pop up and I am more than happy to address questions. They could reach me directly or through you, but, the key, I think, to a good audit going smoothly, whether it's from the auditor's side or from the company side, it's just proper planning. It's, they, have, they have to be a good quarterback in terms of the internal, the external resources that they're going to use to fulfill the requests of the audit, keeping it in mind that when it has to be filed and reported. That's, that's I think, the most important thing. And always, you know, always leverage your financial advisor. They're very familiar, too, in the process. Great. This has been awesome, Robert. I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on to the Retire Right podcast. For anyone listening out there, if they'd like to reach out to Robert directly, you can call him at 516-248-7361 or feel free to email him at rpueto, R-P-U-E-R-T-O, at bbcpas.com. Thanks again, Robert. appreciate your time. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. Great job, guys. This is a fantastic podcast. Tons of great information. Larry, thank you so much for bringing him on and giving his contact information out there as well. And Robert, once again, thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks, Eric. You betcha. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Larry. The last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.